0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Father, we thank you that you speak. Um, You've you've always been speaking. You're communicating, God. Um, We want to hear your voice today. We thank you most of all. You've spoken through your Son, the Lord Jesus and we ask that you'd speak again for His glory to us this morning through Your Word, by Your Spirit. Open our eyes, open our hearts, Lord. Write Your words on our hearts. Uh, transform us with what You've said, what You've done. And we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Way back on September 30th, 1938, the British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain returned from his negotiations with Germany and said these words. This is what he said. My good friends, for the second time in our history, a British prime minister has returned from Germany bringing peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Go home and get a nice, quiet sleep. Peace for our time. That phrase became famous or infamous because less than a year later, Hitler invaded Poland, and World War II was on its way. Peace for our time indeed. Isn't that a wonderful illustration between the relationship human beings have with peace? Uh, One thing about humans, the human race, we cannot seem to get or keep peace for very long. Isn't it obvious? Uh, We say we want it, right? We spend billions of dollars and countless hours pursuing peace on all sorts of levels, and then we destroy it. It eludes our grasp constantly. And this is on several levels, right, Uh, national level, wars, injustice, all over history constantly, no peace. Well, what about the everyday relational level? What about you? Are there any relationships in your life where you don't have peace? There's conflict, there's bitterness, envy, or revenge? And that does even mention the internal level. What what just about your heart? Just your own heart and your own mind. Are you always full of peace? Are you ever plagued by anxiety? Fear, worry, doubt. We've been going through the Galatians 5 and its implications the last few weeks. And in there, in there, you'll remember the fruit of the Spirit. As we think about how much we don't have peace, isn't it amazing that Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Peace. The fruit of of the spirit is peace. What an amazing statement. Couldn't you use some peace? I sure could. Uh, All spring we've been in a sermon series we've been calling Save Two. We're thinking about the life we've been given as Christians. Um, One reason I wanted to do this is because I think it's easy for us to imagine that Christianity is just like a, a get out of hell free card. It's, you know, you got forgiven, now go on your merry way. And so we think, okay, I'm forgiven, and so, you know, what's next? What's the Christian life? Just be generally nice, go to church when you can. Is that it? Now, we've been thinking about what we're saved to, and we've been realizing we're saved to transformation, The gospel transforms us. Grace doesn't just forgive, it changes us. So, first of all, our standing is changed. When you trusted in Jesus Christ, who you are in God's sight was totally changed. You went from enemy, rebel, one deserving wrath, to righteous, forgiven, adopted, totally changed. Uh, Your name now is Child of God in Christ. That's transformation. But not only does the gospel transform our standing, it transforms, how do you want to put it, our hearts, our core being? I mean, think of the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. Consider the idea of fruit. Fruit isn't like uh, rules on the outside trying to cage in your bad behavior. That's not what this is. It's It's not another law. Hey, you better be like this. No, fruit. How does that happen? If you're a tree, it's it's growing out of you organically. Uh, It's in you somehow. It's, um, It's the core of who you are in your heart and mind actually becoming different to where you are peaceful with the peace of God himself, to where you are loving with the love of Jesus. You are being changed. It's amazing. And this morning, we are talking about this aspect of fruit that we call peace. So here's what I want to do. I want to think about what is the peace of the Spirit? What is the peace of God? Then I want to look with you briefly on how we can cultivate it on three essential levels. How can we know or Experience peace on three essential levels, and then third, we're going to celebrate this peace together as we take the Lord's Supper. So first, what is peace? And just in your, in your own mind, how would you define peace? Sometimes we say, gosh, if I could just get some peace, some peace and quiet. A lot of times, for me, that means I wish I could leave, <laughs> Is that, is that that way for you? Isn't vacation like running away from people? <laughs> from, from, from the tasks you have? From the pressures? I need some peace. And so it, it feels like, um, peace feels like a lack of responsibility sometimes, or it feels like a lack of conflict, or a lack of stress. I just want to get away. And I probably something to that. But biblically, peace is so much bigger than that. You've heard the word shalom, right? Really huge idea of a word. I want to think with you just a moment about what the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, gives us as far as understanding peace. You ever tried to read through the first books of the Bible? Plugging along all right. And you get to, like, Leviticus, and the, you know, the wheels break down on your reading train, oh! and you start reading about all these different kinds of offerings, and how much of this, and whatever, and who, and how it works. Well, there's five major kinds of offerings there, and they're actually really important, really beautiful, really deep ideas. One of those offerings, can you guess, is the peace offering. And so, because I'm not an expert, I'm going to quote from someone who is, This is a quote from a man named Richard Averbeck. He is a Old Testament linguist and scholar, and this is what he says about the peace offering. I think we have a slide for that. This is what he says. The distinctive nature of this offering was the communal celebration of the worshipers occasioned by the sharing in the meat of the offering. It was a fellowship or communion offering that indicated and enacted the fact that there was peace between God and his people, and that the person, family, or community was therefore in a state of well-being. And then he says, this is why the peace offering was always the last offered when presented in a series with other kinds of offerings. So what did you see there? I mean, wouldn't you kind of enjoy this? What are you, what are you doing? It's communal. Every, every, everybody's there, friends and family. And what do you get to share in? Steak, right? The, what do we do when we get together and we're having fun? Come on, found of life. What do we do? We we eat. We we eat. It's biblical. Okay, you get together and you eat and you eat what? You eat meat. <laughs> now, if you don't eat meat, I'm just I'm just joking. Um, mostly, right? But you're getting together and you're you you're eating together and you're enjoying fellowship, right? Uh, so it's healthy relationships enjoyable relationships with one another, and not just that, you're enjoying God's blessing in providing this for you, and you're enjoying one another with God himself. Peace, and so it's this sense that because, did did you see how when it's celebrated, it's the last one celebrated? So some offerings take care of sin, and some take care of guilt, and, and there's this, and the goal of it all seems to be to take you to this place of what? peace. And so really peace gives you the idea of, ah, everything's perfect. Everything's perfect. You ever had one of those moments, maybe it kind of snuck up on you, you're sitting in a beautiful place, and the, the temperature feels just right, and you're with somebody you care about, and they care about you, and you're having a nice conversation, and the food's good, and just in that one moment you, fi- you finally realized, I mean, it's hard to come by these, right? You finally realize, oh, this is this is it. I feel, I feel happy right here. I feel, and the biblical word for that is, that's shalom. You're feeling peace. Holistic well-being. Peace is when all of life is whole and complete because of the favor of God and because of fellowship with God. So it's not running away from something. It's being in something that's nearly perfect. It's all total aspect of well-being. Look what Alec Motyer says about peace in the Old Testament. He's a scholar specifically in Isaiah. This is what he says. Peace means fulfillment. Peace is well-being and freedom from anxiety. In relationships, it's goodwill and harmony, the opposite of war. Towards God, it is the full realization of his favor. Doesn't that sound nice? Some peace. Uh, Cornelius planting up says this about the word shalom. Shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation. So that's big, right? God, humans, all creation. Injustice, that's part of peace. Fulfillment, that's part of peace. And delight, that's what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. Shalom means universal universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom, and here's a good way to think of it, shalom is the way things ought to be the way things ought to be. Peace, then, you see, is when all of life is whole and complete because of the favor of God, God's love and his grace, and fellowship with God. Doesn't that sound good? You want some? You want some peace? How much does this world need peace? We don't even get it, right? We need peace so badly. And you see right here, just from this offering, where where do you get peace? Is Is peace something you and I conjure up It's a huge idea. It has to do with the idea of creation. Who made everything? God. And he made everything with a design for it to work right. And as it's working the way it's made, what is that? That's peace. That's holistic well-being. So it includes justice. It includes health. And, of course, what has sin done? What has rebellion done? It's broken that. It's uh, messed it all up. But peace, peace is a gift that God gives. So even as we think of the fruit of the spirit being peace, should you go out from here, grit your teeth, try harder, squeeze harder, and be like, be at peace, be at peace. Is that going to work for you? That's not peace. It's got to come from God and his grace. Peace is a gift that God gives its all of life, whole and complete because of the favor of God and fellowship with God. What are three areas we desperately need peace? Three areas to look at peace, the fruit of the Spirit being peace. One's vertical, peace with God. One's internal, peace in yourself. And the other one is horizontal, peace with others. So let's think briefly about those three. First of all, peace with God. I think you'll admit this world has a peace problem, there's a lot of reasons for that, but here's the core reason. Look at Isaiah 48, 22. Strong words from the mouth of God repeated twice in Isaiah, Isaiah 48, 22. There is what? There is no peace. For who? The wicked. Okay? Wickedness is to deny God's goodness, deny God's law, to deny God's authority. It's to want to replace God. I'm going to do this myself. Do that. There's no peace. First of all, there's no peace with God relationally, and there's no peace in your life because you're outside of his design. You're you're breaking things. It doesn't work. There's no peace. Look at these words from 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 to 3. Because in our world, we get excited about, I guess, what you could call a fake peace. Look what Paul writes here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 to 3. Paul says to the church there, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So just pause for a moment. What's the day of the Lord? Jesus is coming back, and he's coming like a thief. What does that mean? Well, thieves don't call you up and make appointments. What are you guys doing Friday night? You're not going to be there? Perfect. Appreciate that, right? Which is why I don't always want to put my vacations on Facebook, (laughs) Hey, come on over, although we really don't have anything worth you stealing, so come on over. (laughs) He's going to come like a thief, which means it's going to be a surprise, and look at verse 3. While people are saying, what are people saying? Peace and security, we're good, not if you don't have peace with God, because then Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. You ever, I've, I've been privy to see quite a few labor pains in my time. <laughs> as you well know. And one thing that's very true about them is, is, just like you don't get to schedule thieves, you don't get to schedule labor pains. <laughs> they come when they come. And so you don't get to schedule the return of Jesus. He'll come and then it'll come and it'll be here And if you don't have peace with God, you won't have any peace of any kind. This is the most important peace. This is it. This is our need. Look at Colossians 121, a picture of what we call sin. Colossians 121, Paul writes, you once were alienated and hostile in mind. What's hostile mean? enemies, right? So this is a picture, sin is not something you stepped in on an accident, you know, you're going for a walk, oops, dog poo. Sin's not like that. Oh, I accidentally sinned, but I'm a good person. It's not like that. Sin comes from your inclination of your heart, of your heart towards God himself. That's the core of sin. And the Bible says it's hostility. So the big question is, do you like God? Do you want to be with him? Do you want to see his face? Do you want to know his pleasure? What's your heart like towards God? If you're just trying to follow rules because you really don't like God but you're just hoping he's not mad at you, you, don't get it, you don't get it yet. Sin is hostility to God and of course hostility, there's no peace. And so due to sin, we've got problems. God is not peaceful towards sin, he hates sin. And don't you want him to by the way? Don't judge him for that. Anytime you love what's good, the more and more you love what's good, the more and more you're gonna hate what's evil, right? Somebody tries to do something to somebody you love, how's it make you feel? Somebody tries to hurt your kid, or you are like, oh, it's okay, I forgive you? Or are you angry? Why, you love them, okay? God loves, loves what's good. He hates what's evil. I've done what's evil. He hates that, that's a problem, because he's good, he's so good but this is what he's done for us in his grace. Wow, look at this, Colossians 1, 19 to 22. Talking about Jesus here. For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making what? Making peace. By the blood of his cross, so he's buying back all creation. He's buying back his people. There was enmity. He's ending the enmity. He's making peace. He's bringing reconciliation. And this is what he's done for us, his people, verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In the cross, in Jesus' flesh on the cross, God made peace with you and for you. On the cross, he punished everything that deserved to be punished about you. Through the cross, he gave you everything that needed to be perfected about you with the perfection of Jesus. And now in Christ, if you trust in Christ, you're united to him. Who he is and what he's done is yours. And now if you're in Christ, well, of course, what do you have with God? Peace. Christ takes away the burden, the problem. He gives us peace. Look at Romans 5.1. You've heard this before, but it's so strong, it's worth hearing it again. Romans 5.1. Therefore... Since we've been justified by faith, what do we have? Peace with God. Just to walk through those words a little bit, justified is a courtroom term. Right, it's got a, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a courtroom term, so there's a judge, and there's, there's somebody being examined, okay? You imagine the book of your life, everything you've thought and said, your motives, and if God judged that by his holy standard, I know what he would say about me, guilty, But through faith in Jesus, I have a mediator, I have a friend, I have a savior. And so this is what Jesus does for me, he moves my book out of the way and he puts his book in my place. And so as the Father looks at the book of Jesus, what he said, what he's done, what he wanted, what does the Father say about that one? Perfect, justified, innocent, and he gives all the merits of that book to me as if it's mine. So what I'm telling you is if you trust in Jesus, God sees you as if you never, ever once sinned against him and you never, ever once had a hostile thought towards him. Isn't that miraculous and amazing? Not only that, when God looks at you, if you've trusted in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees you as if you always totally loved him and you always totally obeyed him. Which means how could there there be anything between you and God but peace because you're in Christ? There can't be anything but peace. So here's the great thing about peace with God. How do you get it? You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. But if you just turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ, in that moment, with all perfection, what do you have? Peace with God. And here's the great thing. Let me test this on you. Do you have peace with God when you feel like you have peace with God? Because this is a little tricky, right? Because we can use the word peace as a feeling. Justifiably so, right? How do you feel? Peaceful, okay? But peace is also a standing or a reality. Sometimes you could feel like you don't have peace with God. Maybe that's you. You feel condemned. You feel unworthy. You feel unloved. Um, you're looking at what you haven't done or what you think you should have done. You're putting some standard on your life, like if you were more successful or if you'd been a, be- a better parent. Or if you hadn't done that one thing. And so you're looking at that thing in your life and you're saying, that's disqualified me. So God doesn't like me. There's no peace. And I'm telling you, that's all a lie from hell. It's not true. If you trust in Jesus and you look to him and what he's done to save you, I'm telling you right now, with all the authority of Jesus, you have peace with God. And I love that it's more than a feeling because that's what enables me to have the feeling. It doesn't depend on my feelings. I have peace with God in Christ. And that's the most important thing. Do you have peace with God? Does God look at you and say, I love you? Do you trust Christ? That's it, that's enough. Christ alone. That's the first peace, the ultimate peace, peace with God. When we think about the fruit of the Spirit being peace, isn't the fruit of the Spirit then enjoying that peace we have with God? Sitting in it, trusting in it, relying on it, Smiling about it. Okay, cynics question. Any cynics in the room? We need you here. Please keep coming. Wait a second, Pastor Matt. You said that peace is when all of life is whole and complete. Relationships, justice, health. You said peace is when all of life is whole and complete because of the favor of and fellowship with God. And now you might say, wait a second, okay, I believe in Jesus, or I know people who believe in Jesus, and they do not have a kind of life where everything is whole and complete because of the favor of God. Are you feeling this uh, discrepancy? If biblical shalom, all of life, whole and complete because of the favor of God, the fellowship with God, and then you trust Christ and you have peace with God, then where's like, are you waiting for the rest of it? (laughs) What do we do with this? Good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He throws out these, uh, these ideas so quickly and you fly by them, but they... really need to think about them. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, he says, the Old Testament was written down for whom? Our instruction. And then he says this idea about us, these are people who believe in Jesus. The Old Testament was written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So that's you, okay? The end of the ages has come. What does that mean? I got to go fishing with my dad once in the Everglades, and we went fishing in the place where the fresh water mixes with the ocean water, which is a great place to fish, Um, I caught my biggest fish. It was a six-foot bull shark. And if you wanna hear the story, I'll tell you. I'm I'm not even lying. (laughs) I'm not lying. (laughs) But there's this mixture, right? The fresh water's coming in, and there's the salt water, and then there's this great place to fish where it's both, okay? This is really important for you to understand in your Christian life. You are two-age people, Okay? You've got one foot in this present age, which is not a peaceful age, is broken. It's a mess, okay? And that peaceless age, it's scarred you, hasn't it? You're not exempt from this. It's, it's had its way. But, see, remember when Jesus came and he would say things like, the kingdom of God is here. See, the next age has broken in in Jesus Christ. It's broken in. He came in, and then for those who see, for those who trust Jesus, you have you have kind of the next age inside of you, even before it's really here in fullness. The next age—it's what we call heaven. Don't think of being naked in a diaper with wings, shooting arrows, flying through the clouds. I used to think of that as a kid, and I was like, I don't want to go there, but it's better than hell. Don't think of that. Heaven is a new planet. Okay, you like? does this planet have some good things to offer? It's pretty sweet, actually, even though it's broken. You get a new planet. You're going to get new bodies. You like having a body? Well, you're always going to have one. You're going to get a new one. You guys look great, but you're going to look even better. And you're never going to get sick. You're never going to die. It's never going to end. And guess what it's going to be known as? The age of peace. Where truly and perfectly... All of life will be whole and complete because of the favor of God and with the fellowship of God. Perfect peace. Are we there yet? No. But do we have the appetizer? Do we have the start of it in us because of Christ? And the answer is yes. The fruit of the Spirit is peace, which means you in your heart, in your mind, you as a community are the appetizer for one another and the world about the next age that's coming. We can have a supernatural heavenly peace in our lives and in our relationships that should tell everybody about what's coming in heaven. Do you see that? You're the introduction to the next age. And so, You've trusted in Christ. You have peace with God. Is all of your life whole and complete? No. But is God working all things in your life for good? Yeah. Is he reordering how you love and how you think and how you live? Yeah. Have you you ever been at a church service that you just loved the word of God spoke to you, you felt the love of one another, you sang songs that meant something to you, and you said something like, I had a little taste of heaven today. I've heard that from many of you before. I had a a little taste of heaven today. You did, actually. It was peace. So, because of what we have in Christ, now we're thinking about internal peace, you can enjoy peace in your heart. So the internal peace of the spirit is the, ex- is the sense or experience that everything is good. You have shalom, even when circumstances and fears are screaming at you that they aren't. You have the blessings of the next age while you suffer in this one. Do you see? You have peace while you wait for it. Tim Keller describes internal peace like this, confident trust in the wise rule of God over your life. Do you have confident trust in the wise rule of God over your life? Can you? Trust is really the idea. Does God love you? If you look at the wrong circumstance on the wrong day, what might you conclude? No, he doesn't. What if you look at the cross? Does he love you? What if you look at what he's promised you? Does he love you? Can you trust him? It's easy to get mad at God for letting bad things happen. I think we've all been there. If you haven't, just wait longer. Do you know you need to doubt your doubts sometimes? If God's big enough to be mad at because he didn't rule the world the way you wanted him to, is it also possible that he's wise enough to have ideas about what he's doing that you don't understand? Of course it is, of course it is, and he's shown his heart for you in Jesus, he's given you a son, he's gonna, he's gonna make you heir of all things with Christ, you can have peace in your heart, how do we cultivate this, I think that's the hard part, look at Philippians 5, I got a slide for this one, Philippians, or sorry, Philippians 4, verse 5, Paul says, the Lord is at hand, oh, isn't that great, he's near, so then here's your, here's your, I know this is all your favorite verse, verse 6, right? Do not be anxious about what? This is another one of those. Oh, come on. Come on. But I got to tell you, he's not writing this from his ivory tower with his gold, you know, Rolls Royce down at the bottom because he's a TV preacher. It's not Paul. He's writing you from a Roman prison. He's not joking. Don't be anxious about anything. What do you do when you're anxious? In everything by what? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Pray. Are you you missing the peace of God? I bet you're not, perhaps, praying like you could be and enjoying the presence of God and his promises. Let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, what's gonna come? It's a promise. It's it's not right away, but it's gonna come. The peace of God will come, and what will it do? It surpass all understanding so here's the two age thing you're experiencing the troubles of this age while you're feeling the peace of the next one and you're going to be like this doesn't make sense i shouldn't be feeling this peace you ever had that before i'm at peace i shouldn't be the fruit of the spirit is peace because of the kindness of god so you got to pray another thing you need to do is you need to meditate and you're like i don't know how to meditate and i'm telling you if you're ever anxious you absolutely know how to meditate because what are you doing when you're anxious? You're turning an idea over in your head or in your heart about how bad something's gonna be. 75% of the time, it doesn't actually happen. I can't prove that exactly, but that's about right. (laughs) It doesn't happen, but you're meditating on it, you're turning it over, you're sucking on it, you're thinking about it, this bad thing, okay? Look what Isaiah 26, three says. Powerful stuff. And again, Isaiah, he's not in his mansion rocking it as the Old Testament prophet full of money. He's going through exile. Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in what? Perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If you trust God, where should you put your brains? On him. On him. Trust in the Lord forever. He's a rock. Romans 8, 6. To set the what? Mind on the flesh. The flesh is that selfish inclination against God that wants only what the world gives. It can't see any further than that. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is what? Life and Peace. So, because we have relational peace with God through Christ, we can enjoy internal peace by the Spirit. As we walk with the Spirit, we're led by the Spirit, relying on the presence of the Spirit, trusting in the gospel promises of the Spirit, we can enjoy peace. Peace with God, internal peace. Also, so important, relational peace with one another. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. In Galatians, Paul Paul says, you guys should quit devouring one another. So this, they're super religious, and they have this atmosphere of like cannibalism. And I don't think it's literal, right? They were just walking up and biting each other. It was, it was how they treated one another. It was their words. So isn't the fruit of the Spirit being peace? Oh, a huge part of this is what? The horizontal community aspect. And this is the text we read this morning. Look at Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ do what? Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. You were called in one body. You heard of this before? The church is the body of Christ. It's not the building. It's the people. You're called in one body. Listen, if I've trusted in Jesus Christ and I'm united to him by grace through faith, that's it. And you did the same thing. By grace, through faith, that's it. We may have hard knuckles on some differences we have, but in the end, guess what? If I'm united to Christ and you're united to Christ, what does that mean about the two of us? We are united to Christ. The church, we are united to Christ. So, you know, people say, why are there so many wars out there among denominations? And that's a big question with lots of answers. People say there's no peace, and I actually want to say, you know what, there actually is peace. Okay, back to this. Remember, do you have peace with God through Jesus Christ even when you don't feel like like it? Yeah. Do you have peace with other brothers and sisters in Christ even when you don't act like it? Yes. The wall's been broken down. You are spiritually, ontologically, metaphysically, okay? Just throw big words at you to impress you with this. You are one through Christ, and so because we have that peace, so because I have peace with Christ and I should live like it, I have peace with you, you have peace with me in Christ and we should live like it. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ do what? Rule. It's already there. What do we need to do? Let it win. Let it win. It should, peace and unity should should be a huge passion for us, a huge passion. When we make decisions, it should be like a number one goal. And of course, there are boundaries on the Christian faith, so it's like, if you're like, I don't think Jesus is God, and I don't think he died on the cross, look, I still love you, I want to be your friend, but I can't share like spiritual fellowship with you on that because I do, right? So, so we're not talking about sell-off doctrine so we don't have arguments. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in community life, because we're in Christ, serve one another, love one another, honor one another, work for peace. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Summing it up, it's a painful letter for him. This is what he says, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim. Aim for what? Restoration, that's peace. You have a broken relationship with somebody in here, you got to go, you got to want it restored. And you're like, I don't know, it's too hard. What did Jesus, wait, what did Jesus do to restore his relationship with you? What did he do? He gave, he's, he gave it all up to have you. Be restored to one another. Aim for restoration, he also says, comfort one another. Be a vessel of peace to one another. When, when one person's suffering or anxious, the other one comes and mediates Christ's peace. Aim for comfort one another. Here's a hard one. What's the next one? Aim for restoration, comfort one another. And oh yeah, agree with one another. Isn't that a funny command? What do you do? What do you do? Say you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat. Um, Say you have this view, I have that view. Say you have this preference, I have that preference. And Paul goes, agree with one another. But we don't. What do you do? You are working for every possible way to find the most important common ground and base your relationship on that, and that's always Jesus Christ. And so you're gonna leave the secondary issues where they are, secondary, and you're gonna make the most important things what they are the most important, and you're gonna work for peace. And you're not gonna let yourself be bitter or judgmental towards people who have different opinions than you, okay? We're all somewhat inconsistent in our view of how life should go as far as it goes with Jesus, and we need grace for one another for that. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of peace will be with you. Romans 14, 19, what should we pursue? Pursue what makes for peace, mutual upbuilding. Okay, look at this one. What about the other side? Titus three ten. 10. How, how big is God on peace in the church? Titus three ten. As for a person who stirs up division, what do you do first? Warn them once, and keep stirring up division, then... Twice, they keep stirring up division, then what do you do? Have nothing to do with them. What? That's how big peace is in the church. You're going to go into God's place and break down peace intentionally, continually, without repentance? Look at verse 11. Knowing such a person is warped and sinful, and what's that last one? He is self-condemned. So if you intentionally make discord in God's family, repeatedly, without repentance, You're saying to yourself, I'm not even a Christian. Self-condemned. That's how big peace is. And it makes sense, doesn't it? What did Jesus do to reconcile us? Went to the cross. What should we do to work for peace? Well, whatever we can. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. And it's not only to foster peace in the church. What about to bring peace to the world? If peace is holistic well-being, what should we want for people? We should want justice, right? We should want things to, we should try to help things work the way they're supposed to work. I I love our ministry we have on Tuesday nights, Jen Her, right? Where so many of you volunteer to help teen moms whose, their whole situation is not shalom. But you're, you're trying to be a vessel for let's more shalom. According to God's design, by love, by comfort, strive for peace. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 9? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Peacemakers. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. There's one more thing to take into account. Look at Isaiah 52, verse 7. It's great prophecy of when Jesus was gonna come and what's gonna happen. The prophet says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Who publishes what? Peace. So the good news is the news of peace. Who brings good news of happiness who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So here's the message that Jesus is Lord is the good news, and it is news of peace. You can have peace with God through Jesus Christ and what he's done. Peace, which means if you love peace, what are you going to do? The fruit of the Spirit is peace, which means the fruit of the Spirit will have you telling the gospel to people who don't know it. Ephesians 6.15, what should you wear? You got your Converse on? I got my vans on today. We're in Southern California, you got flip-flops on. That's great. There's another pair of shoes, Ephesians 6.15. As shoes for your feet, what are you wearing? The readiness given by the gospel Of peace. Beautiful feet in the Bible mean you're walking to share a message. You've walked to share the message. The messenger came and brought good news. So if you if you love peace, it's the gospel of peace. If you care about peace, listen, you have friends and family and neighbors, and they have no peace with God. Does it bother you? Probably not enough. Have you told them about Jesus? That they can have peace with God through Christ? The fruit of the Spirit is peace. This is how it works. We trust Christ. We have peace with God. We have the promises of the next age. It's coming. We have the first fruits. And because we have his peace, we can sacrifice our own peace to make peace for one another. We can have internal peace. we can work for peace in the world don't you want to be peacemakers through the gospel of peace the fruit of the Spirit is peace trust Jesus rely on him to have peace in your heart and because you have this peace in your heart work for peace in the church in the world I'm gonna pray we're gonna take up our offering then we're gonna enjoy the fulfillment of the peace offering remember Israel had that peace offering they'd come and enjoy fellowship with God And we're going to eat the ultimate one, which is we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to eat the bread, which represents Jesus' body broken for us. We have peace through him. We're going to drink the juice, which represents his blood shed for us. No, we have peace with God and peace with one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the gift of your peace. And I pray that each one of us in here would feel it in Christ your peace, knowing that we're loved by you. Uh, We're right with you, not by what we've done, but by what Jesus has done. He's enough. Give us that gift, and then, Lord, as we face uh, living life in this age, give us peace in our hearts, Lord. Help us fight that anxiety and to turn our minds to you, our hearts to you, in prayer and meditation. Give us peace in our hearts. And, Lord, give us peace in our in our churches and in our world. Lord, help us to work for peace and unity together, forgiving one another, reconciling with one another, blessing one another, and help us to work for peace in this world, to work for justice, Lord, and to preach that gospel, the message of peace, that you've done everything necessary to bring us back to God. We praise you for this, give you glory for it, and uh, we're so thankful we can be here to worship you for the peace you give us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.